I'm Asan, and this is the Friday show. The sun is shining in Stockport. I've got my best Bert gear on. And joining me, not from the beer garden at the Liz, I've got Howard and Steve. Morning, Howard. <laughs> Morning. Morning, Steve. Morning. I really want to come to the beer garden now. Yeah. Mate, so it is so sunny. It's so sunny and heat and warm. From here, I'm going directly to, to the Liz, to the beer garden. So if anybody wants me, that's where I'll be later. <laughs> um, okay, before we uh, before we get uh, too, too excited about the weekend and the sunshine, there's a lot happening in the world of football and a lot has happened in the last week, but there is absolutely only one place that we could possibly start. It's dominating all the back pages this morning. It is the biggest story in world football. Ole's at the wheel, lads. Hey. Howard? What? Going to start yeah, with what? you now. How do you feel about Ole being at the wheel? What's your prediction for next year? Is he more Pep or is he more Di Matteo? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't think. I don't think we can put it the same level as Pep, to be honest. Well, Stuart Pearce, maybe. <laughs> Will he have a toy horse in the dugout to <laughs> spur him on? <laughs> First of all, where's at the wheel come from? I've got no idea. I've literally, I'm, so, I, I, I'm sorry to anybody who felt a little bit nauseous about my my intro and, and what I just said there. I don't know why I said it. It was just it's the excitement of the sunshine. Sorry, Howard, carry on. No, I mean, it's a real thing. I'm just wondering how it's all started. I mean, from Waterford. It's Article 13 where you can't do anything anymore, copyrighted stuff on the internet. I was hoping that would kill off memes of him at the stuff like that, but apparently memes will still be allowed under Article 13, which is such a shame, but never mind, you can't fit all. Uh, well, I've been wrong with him already once, so I have to tread carefully. I always thought when he came in, he had really, you know, pretty the easiest first three games you could ask for. And I knew the bounce from Jose Marino just not being on the premises at the training ground would be huge. But he has kept it going. Uh, but deep down, my feeling is I'm glad they've made this permanent. I just, the thought has always been for me, I don't think it'll be terrible, uh, but maybe we don't know enough about him to make, you know, just how tactically aware is he? That's what it really boils down to because the feel good factor, you can't, that doesn't last. That's a that's a honeymoon period thing. In two years' time, that's going to be of little use to him. Obviously, having good relationships with your players, and he's sort. Let's be honest; he's one of those people that I think, even though he's United, I'm going to struggle to dislike. Uh, he seems approachable. He seems like he can be harsh when he needs to be. So, it, you know, if he has that relationship with the players that Jose Mourinho didn't have, for example, then that can take you a long way. But we don't truly know. He's his tactical flexibility and you know if he's going to United's ultimate aim of course is to win a title again and he's going to have to be you know he's going to have to be getting 90 points out of a team and however much money he has and whatnot, you know money alone will not do that my feeling my general feeling is that come next season with a clean slate you know the feel good factor just won't be as important and he may struggle to maintain this this the level of results Okay, and you may you may argue that there were, he's already tailing off considering the last two results before the break. Mm. So I'm I am happy. You know, if you're saying oh it's him or Pochettino, I'd say oh yeah, please just uh, get Solskjaer in instead because you know, at the end of the day we've got Pep Guardiola. So you know, we don't have to get a big name to be the most. You know. The, the thought is always get one of the best managers in the world. That's how United get back to the top. Uh, it could be a success, but there's a lot more to sort. They need, they need a director of football. They need they need a you know like a Pep system where they need just some sort of process, some plan that that gets them to the top rather than just getting a manager in and then picking out some players that they think will make them better. So they've got a long way to go anyway, even without discussing the manager in place. Okay. Steve, do you want to make a, a more robust defence of the appointment of, of Solskjaer? I'm I'm really chuffed about it, to be honest. We've got Pep Guardiola and they've got Oli Gullis Solskjaer. That just says it all for me. When, when you, you know, I've had a lifetime of reluctantly looking up towards Manchester United, seeing them dominate, seeing them be the big, bad brother. Um, 
now we've got Pep Guardiola and they've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, I look out my window, I look down the bottom of a hill and for the last couple of years I've been laughing my head off at a house in disrepair and now I see at the bottom of a hill a house where they're all very happy and they're all kind of, you know, playing like 1990s rave music and, and they seem quite content with their lives. Good. I'm happy for them. It doesn't impact upon me whatsoever. What impacts upon me are Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool and, you know, teams of real substance who are going to challenge us for, for trophies in the years to come. United won't. Um, they'll be happier and, you know, fair do and they deserve that because they've been through a couple of Alineas. That's how I feel about it, really. I'm just... I'm pleased for him in a very patronising manner. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, over, to, over to you, Asa. Yeah, I mean, uh, it'd be interesting to revisit this conversation in 12 months' time. Yeah, no, delete. I no, I, <laughs> I, I stand by it. Ollie's at the wheel, but it's at the wheel. In a more serious terms, Ollie's at the wheel of a sports car with crap brakes. They've got Chris Smalling. They've, they've got Phil Jones. The overhaul required there is huge. And momentum and harmony in the dressing room will get them fairly far it's not going to get anywhere near the, as far as what they believe um, and so yeah they'll improve but not by much see I, I think that's my you... point I don't think it'll be a failure Yeah, but being good like 7 or 8 out of 10 it's just not enough They're, you know just how many how many years of the transition and go on and on and on trying to catch United Loop, uh, City or Liverpool, they can't fall behind again anymore. Otherwise, it'll take them a long, long time, however much money they've got to catch up. And that's the point for me. He's got to be more than good. Hmm. I think that um, where I would slightly disagree, it's not really to do with Solskjaer, it's more to do with just how good that squad currently is and how good the team currently is. I think that both of you, to some extent... Um, sound a little bit like Mourinho in that you're kind of talking down what is already at United in a way which I think is a little bit, I think it's a it's a bit of an exaggeration. United have got a really good squad and they've got some top players. And yeah, they need to buy players, but you know, every team needs to buy players. They finished on 81 or 82 points in Mourinho's last full season in charge. He's won, Solskjaer's won, what, 14 of 18 games or something like that. Um, I just think that he doesn't need to be Pep Guardiola to get, with a couple of good signings this summer, to get that squad to get 85 points or 80-plus points next season. Now, you could argue that City and Liverpool have raised the bar to such a level that you need to get to 90 points to be considered really as being in a title challenge. But I don't know how permanent that raised bar is. I don't know, for example, if next season City and Liverpool will be as relentless in the yeah. games that they win. So it, it's not to say, like for me, that Solskjaer getting the job is maybe not the cause for celebration that I've seen it be on the internet in general. I think, you know, neutral people who don't support United generally are ripping the piss out of them for appointing Solskjaer, um, which is, I guess, kind of fair enough, but I just don't see it like that because I don't think that you can just brush under the carpet or discount all the games that he's won and the different challenges that he's faced so far this season and put it all down to a new manager bounce or put it all down to the idea, well, oh, he's a nice bloke and, you know, he's he's got the dressing room happy again and, and that's all he needed to do. Um, I think that's maybe a touch too patronising. And that's not to say that, you know, he, he hasn't got a huge learning curve ahead of him huge learning curve ahead of him and that's not to say that all those players that are playing out their skins for him won't have moments next season where you know it doesn't go well and suddenly the form of his best players is I mean I think that's the thing that from from the United viewfinder the word seems to be that he's getting the best out of their best players and that's a really big thing for any coach particularly at the top clubs it's, you know it's very real madrid in that sense that if you turn up at real madrid and you get the best out of the best players you'll do all right 
I think there's an element of that at United, particularly because of the power that they have in the dressing room as well. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see to see how he does. Uh, but I don't think that it's the comical appointment that people make it out to be. Um, part I, I, I go me- along with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's uh, yeah. I, I think he will improve them. I think his achievements to this point have been amazing. Frankly, he has done. He, it's a plus. Um, and that's a big surprise, frankly, because when he did come in on a temporary basis, that's when I was being, as, as you said there, Aysan, about, you know, kind of I found it quite comical, uh, his appointment. Um, yeah, me too. And I've been proven wrong there completely. I just yeah. can't see this sustaining um, to the extent um, where they, they'll be challenging for silverware. I think it's a very good point you make about we can't take for granted the 90 pluses, uh, 90 points that we're getting. Um, of course, we can never take that for granted. Uh, and United are capable of reaching 80 points next year, but they're yeah. also capable of imploding. And if they do so, then Solskjaer is not an elite manager. I'll stand by that. He's not an elite manager. No, but I think that I think the the, the difference for me is that I don't because of the the type of personality that he is. You're never going to see a Mourinho esque implosion. Do you yeah, know what I mean? True, like I, th- I think with I think with Solskjaer, the kind of worst case scenario for United fans, and actually if I was a betting man, this is what I think the the real scenario will end up being next season. That they that he does comfortably well enough that he's clear of whoever's in fourth place. Yeah, so they're not in a battle for a Champions League spot um, come the turn of of next year. But at the same time. He's not in a title race either, mm. so he fi- so he finds himself in that in between place where they're not really title challengers, but they're far enough ahead of Arsenal, Chelsea, and Spurs potentially as well that they're not really in that conversation either. And I actually think that's you know the almost worst case scenario for for United and United fans because the Glazers will take that all day long finishing with Champions League football and winning nothing every season the Glazers will take that all day long um I don't know how long <clears throat> United and United fans uh, are going to continue to take well I not continue I don't know how long they'll give even Solskjaer with all the love that they've got for him uh if he's not challenging for the big trophies and I know that there's an element of Liverpool Liverpool bias within this but I've heard a few I've heard a few scousers say it's a bit like Dalglish when uh, he was appointed uh post Rodgers was th- no post Hodgie it was Hodgson after Rodgers wasn't it yeah it was and then, and, and then Dalglish, and then Al- and Dalglish, yeah. So, so that Dalglish appointment, where there was kind of a, a wave of sentimentality that that he rode, and he won two domestic cups, but ultimately they were never going to challenge for the title under him, and 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 that's why he had to go. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting, but that's enough on. Uh, on on that man being at the wheel, and I promise I'm never ever ever going to use that phrase again. By the way, uh, so to anybody who's deeply offended by it. Okay, let's look at the uh, weekend's football. There's a very 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 big game on the horizon. Um, Spurs are playing Liverpool at Anfield, um, but before that, tomorrow there's a Legends game at their new stadium to secure a safety certificate, I believe. Um, with regards to Zidane going back to United, uh, Zidane going back to Madrid, Solskjaer getting the United job, looking at Pochettino, before we talk about the game itself, what next for Pochettino? It felt like six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, it was definitely going to leave this summer. Suddenly, the new stadium is open. It's ready. Those two obvious job opportunities for him are gone. Is he in danger a little bit of becoming, you know, sometimes with players, there's that sense of there's a moment and you take your move in your moment. And if you don't take your move in your moment, your, you know, football is, everybody's got a short memory and there's always a new hot thing on the horizon, a new player, a new coach that's doing something. From Potcher's point of view, is he, is he in danger of, of losing the, the shine that he had? 
that he was um that he was that was getting him linked to these jobs to the United job and to the to the Madrid job. Um Steve, I'll start with you. Uh there's always a danger of that. I think that will play out um alongside the months to come for Spurs and what mm. happens there because United wanted Pochettino and they you know made overtures towards Spurs saying, look, you know, we want Pochettino, um we'll make this clear at this point and we'll proceed from there. Spurs then went to Pochettino and said, What do you want? What do you need in order to stay? Um and the obvious answer to that was I want a transfer budget this summer. Now a sum has been agreed between Pochettino and Spurs, so he is happy with the money he's being given this summer. Do you know how much he's getting? I do not. But when you bear in mind that the, the stadium is, what is it, £350 million over budget, it's got over a billion pounds now, yeah. then you have to wonder where the hell... I mean, that £350 million over budget, an average Premier League side, you could get a, <laughs> you could get a team for £350 million in terms of you know like transfer fees. It's an awful lot of money. So where the hell are we going to get this money? Who knows? But one thing we can state with absolute certainty is in order to give Pochettino the money he needs to buy these players that he wants this summer, they have to finish in the top four. I mean, that is the given. And it should they lose to Liverpool this weekend, which is, you know, it's a very tough fixture at Anfield, whilst the teams around them have got fairly you know, winnable games. United's got Watford, uh, Chelsea's got Cardiff away, Arsenal got uh, Newcastle at home, very conceivably all three will win. Spurs could be out of the top four by Tuesday. And that is panic stations. And not only that, but they've got one hell of a month coming up, a defining month, um, you know, in a new stadium. I would state that the next six weeks are the most important six weeks, not only of Pochettino's reign at, at Spurs, but Spurs in the Premier League era. It's huge for them. Um, so, yeah, that's I'm going to be absolutely fascinating seeing how that plays out. I mean... For the club to say, right, we have this amount of money, Pochettino's not going to be just settled for, you know, 30 million, is he? You know, we're talking a sizable sum here. Yeah. So that has to come from Champions League revenue. Mm. Bear in mind, yeah. I'll just quickly finish by saying it's not also completely unconceivable that Spurs don't go on and win the Champions League this year and all the money they get from that. So, you know, they, they have three opponents left before they, they, they achieve immortality and, and champions of Europe. So okay, that's so that's a possibility. Ne- well, it, so, it, it could, Aysan. It's, it's that's not happening. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but that's not happening. I'm not a having a conversation which is it, built around Spurs beating City in the Champions League. Bro. <laughs> we can talk about lots of things, but we're not going to talk about that thing. I'm Howard, I'm going to move this swiftly over to you and I'm going to cut Steve <laughs> off right there at the knees <laughs> and I'm going to move this over to you. Um, looking at the game this weekend, right... The thing that, obviously I'm looking at this from a City perspective, and the thing that gives me huge amounts of encouragement and hope is actually everything that Steve has just said, in the sense that this has now become an enormous fixture for Pochettino and for Spurs. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, I'll kill that hope. Stone dead within 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, go for it. I had the misfortune of looking at their form before the break, and it's pretty terrible, to be honest. And it's a bit weird when you have an international break. Are, are Spurs in bad form, or do we uh, disregard stuff that happened weeks and weeks ago? Uh, is it a huge game? I mean, if they're going to finish top four, then this is, you know, obviously they've got to play City as well, you know, at City. So they may not look at these games as the ones where they'll pick the point, you know, most likely to pick the points up anyway, or where it will make or break their season. <sighs> to be honest, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it is huge for Pochettino. I always thought he'd want to stay to see in that new stadium. I mean, why, you know, to leave before that was open. And I don't think it would be ridiculous. I think he'd, miss, he'd feel he's missed out on something huge. And it's a bit weird that they're opening it towards the end of the season. I feel that it's, you know, the options open to him now are effectively that he just stays at Spurs. And with the new stadium, he'll probably want, you know, want to see what he can do there and experience it for for a whole year. I know it's just a building and that doesn't keep a manager there, but I think he would want to stay longer 
uh, and see what happens. But after that, new yeah, within a year, obviously everything could change. New options available for him elsewhere, perhaps. I'm not sure this is a make or break for Spurs, no, because they've got other more winnable games. But yeah, finishing in the top four is kind of, it would make such a huge difference to the direction they go. I know some people said it's sad that you know teams should aspire to finish in the top four, but with this new stadium and the costs and the fact that you know they didn't buy anyone last summer whatsoever, yep. uh, it really is so important that they strengthen this summer. Mm. So... And Pochettino, yeah, is now kind of marooned there. We don't really know what's going on in his head. He's never spoken about it, obviously. But he he must have thought that one of two gigs was coming available to him in the summer uh, or sooner. And as for the game itself, though, I just, as I say, I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure that they're in the good enough form for me to be confident about them doing something in this game. See, again, I feel as though you're reading this really wrong. And what I mean by that is just that I, I agree that Spurs are in really bad form. But it's for that exact reason that I, I think the, the when you say like, you know, they've got more, they've got winnable games ahead of them. There's not enough games left. That's my point now. Yeah. That that with, with eight games left, yeah, you're not really at a point where you can start going particularly in the top six where, look, let's be real about this. It's possible that of the last eight games, the top six, all of them collectively only lose two games, yeah, or three games across the six teams. So the point, every point is big and a swing, a change in position is massive. And I think that from Spurs' point of view, like you've just pointed out, or Steve just pointed out, it's very simple. If they don't win a Man United win, Man United go above them and Spurs go out of the top four. Now, that for Pochettino, considering the narrative in October or November, or even in January or February, when suddenly people were getting really pissy that Spurs weren't being talked about as part of the, the kind of title race conversation. Um, I think that is going to be quite a big fall for Pochettino. And I I think he's a better manager than that. I really expect him. This isn't, part of it obviously is in hope because City are in a title race, but part of it is kind of being objective, taking a step back, looking at everything that Pochettino's done, looking at how important Champions League football is for them this season. At the very least, I expect them to go there, be tactically very, very, very organised, not to be really difficult to beat. I almost play Spurs like they played against Dortmund in the second leg where they kind of sat very deep. They played with five at the back, but they were absolutely devastating on the break because they knew that they didn't have to go chasing a goal. And I imagine that if they take a similar approach at Anfield, Liverpool don't like that. I think that Liverpool will struggle against a Spurs committed parked bus mm. so it, it's yeah I mean I, I I'm I find it hard to believe and it, of course it can happen because Liverpool themselves are a top side but I do find it a little bit difficult to believe that Spurs don't go there almost viewing it or that Poch doesn't almost view it as the start of eight cup finals where he's saying to his players look we have to win probably seven of these eight games to guarantee ourselves a place in the top four. So that has to start now. Um, And they've got, you know, even if you look at the, um, do they have to, no, they they don't have to play City, do they? Oh yeah, they do, don't they? They have to come, they have to come, they have to come to the Etihad as well. So this is what I'm saying that if you look again, looking at those fixtures, you'd look at the Liverpool one this weekend and go, hmm, probably fancy that one a bit more than having to go to the Etihad in two weeks or three weeks when City have got even fewer games to win the title. You, you see the point that I'm making yeah, there? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking at it logically and, you know, yeah, City have got United. Yeah, United have got City to host and Chelsea have got to go to Liverpool. So and they've got a three-point gap and a seven-goal difference. Uh, I'd say it's unlikely, to be honest, even if they lose at Liverpool, that they would be out the top four at the end of the weekend. Uh, so, and then you can say, well, of the seven games left, there's only one real difficult one left in that it's the City game. So, you know, if 
with eight games left, if they've got a three-point gap over United, if they... If you, if we assume that the other teams lose one, they can probably lose two of those eight. So they can lose it if they lost it to City and Liverpool, and won the others. I've no doubt they'd finish in the top four. Really? Absolutely no. Yeah, because it would mean United having to win every game. So of their last eight, so it's unlikely. Mm. And yeah, a lot of the other games they're not obvious wins because I don't think what Spurs have not been doing is absolutely brushing side you know opposition teams aside this season they've got there through hard fought wins a lot of the time so none of the games can be taken for granted uh, as for Liverpool yeah the worst thing that could happen is an early Liverpool goal yeah because as that. you said yeah. if yet again we ask the question of how they react once if they're not you know the frustration nerves pressure bomb. and if if that that you know that organisation of Spurs frustrates them then it, then it becomes a very interesting game indeed. An early Liverpool goal and the Spurs game plan has gone out the window a bit. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've just got, I've, I, I've got a lot of time for, for Pochettino and the Spurs team in the sense that it generally in, I don't know how good his record is against the rest of the top six this season, but I do think that, you know, it's one of those where at this point in the season, the points are just a lot more valuable than they are in in September, October, November. So in a way, it doesn't really matter how Spurs did against the top six back then. It's about how they perform now. This is money time after after this international break. So I really expect them. So Howard, obviously you don't expect them to get anything from, from Anfield. Steve, I'm going to throw this to you then. Do you think Spurs, do you expect Spurs to take anything from Anfield this weekend? It's, Sounds like a safe answer, but it's it's the one I believe in, uh, which is exactly what Howard said then. If Spurs, if it's nil-nil after 20, 25 minutes, then I fancy Spurs very much to get something. Mm-hmm. Um, if Liverpool get an early goal, then the atmosphere, just everything will just favour Liverpool. Um, and given their recent results as well, and then the pressure is very much on Spurs... Um, you'd have to favour Liverpool. So that first 20, 25 minutes is absolutely key for me. And you'd expect Liverpool, exactly as you as you both said, you'd expect Spurs to line up with a back five and just to be hard to break down. Um, and you'd equally expect Liverpool to really go at them and just throw the barn door, door at them early, early on. And so really, it just comes down to pure luck then, the, the kind of great unpredictable um, situation of whether... A, a ball ricochets into the net or hits the post. You know, if if they can mm. withstand Spurs, uh, sorry, if they can withstand um, Liverpool for twenty twenty five minutes, oh, we've got a real good game on our hands. Yeah, let's be honest. Obviously, there's a bit of the oh City pessimism in me. If City were at home to Spurs this weekend, I wouldn't say oh we're definitely winning because yeah, as you say, son, Spurs are good enough to get a result here. Exactly. It's just my honest opinion, even if I was putting a bet on, you know, forget I'm a City fan, I'd always go for Liverpool in this situation. I think I'm just scarred because I watched them at Burnley before the break and Spurs were woeful. But they're playing a different type of side. So, you know, how much were they undone by Burnley's style and the situation? And, you know, every game's unique in a way. Some teams struggle against certain types of sides as City have done, of course, down the years. So, But they were very bad against Burnley. But that's three weeks ago now. So who knows if that form is relevant to this game on Sunday. Yep, absolutely. Uh, obviously, Liverpool, like City, have got a full fit, fully fit squad now as well. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure it makes much difference. I don't think the team will change much anyway because the returning players will probably mostly feature on the bench. But yeah, uh, the top two have come in have come through the international break pretty well. I think they have. I think with Liverpool, the returning players, the big thing is that they, they're they pretty long injuries. You know, Joe Gomez has been out for basically the better part of four months nearly. Um, yeah. Oxlade-Chamberlain's been out for a year. Realistically, I don't expect those boys to have no. an immediate impact in the next week or two. I think it'll be a little bit longer than that. Um, hey, look, we've done nearly 30 minutes. We haven't really talked about City. And now I want to talk about City and April and how we look and how we feel. Um, 
the, I guess the first question is, is more of a meta question for both of you. Um, is this the most exciting April in Premier League history? Certainly from City's point of view, looking at our season in general, is it the most exciting April in our modern history? Uh, Howard, how how do you how do you view this? Does it feel different than than things that have gone before it, or do you feel a bit like all of the cup chases and the title chases they just end up rolling into one feeling? No, this is. I mean, the stakes are just higher now. No, for pre- if we're talking pressure, nothing will ever ever have the effect of that. 2011-12 season running. If I'm ever in that situation again, I'm going to live in a, a cave for three <laughs> years and just blank out the world because I don't think I can go through that again. Uh, but taking pressure, yeah, a bit more in a bit more in a situation now where I can accept what happens happens. But it is. I mean, you just think about the possibilities here. The nothing or the, the all or nothing of how this could end up is just staggering. I mean, there's history to be made here. Yeah, I don't think... No team's ever been in this situation. Forget City. No English team has gone into April in this situation. So you cannot deny this is exciting, stressful, on the edge. It's there. Yeah. (laughs) My stomach's gone. You're just saying it. (laughs) Which kind of answers the question, really. So I've had a quite relaxed week and now I've... Now I'm a shambles again. And it's just, again yeah. There's so little leeway, that's the thing. You know, it's just like, can we even afford to drop points now in any league game? Well, maybe United away, of course, because that's the most difficult one. But, you know, like the games like Fulham or Cardiff or whatever, there's just no leeway. So everything's on the edge now. Mm. Yeah. But Everything, yeah. So, Steve, I- I've been very positive of late, right? Um, mm. Looking at... Looking at the fixtures, the number of fixtures and the volume of fixtures, and looking at the squad and, and looking at Pep, do you think? Do you expect something to give? Like, do you think that there'll be a either a mental or a physical lull? Um, how do you see? How do you see the team approaching this this period of the season when it is so? It does feel very all or nothing, and then does that when you look at the everybody involved do you think that's going to get the best out of them um the, the latter point yes absolutely okay. uh, i think this international break couldn't have come at a better time normally um you know i loathe international breaks i resent them um on this occasion it's a case of right let's all just take stock of the situation before we go into an absolute colossal four to six weeks ahead um and of course, that goes tenfold for the players as well, who actually have to put the effort in, uh, whereas we just bite our nails. So, yeah, I, I think De Bruyne coming back, and I think Mendy and Stones coming back are huge pluses. Absolutely, very significant indeed, because it gives Pep options now, and it gives him a chance to kind of rest the player here and there. You do not expect Kevin De Bruyne to come back fit and firing, putting eight out of ten performances. Same with, with Benjamin Mendy. But if we can get an eighty percent. Kevin De Bruyne, that's better than a hundred percent of a player elsewhere. And like I say, that gives Pep the chance now. You'd think he has basically got it all laid out the month ahead. The team selections, who when he's going to rest players, when he's going to kind of, you know, bring a player back in, when you know, just try and keep him as fresh as possible. Because as stated on a previous podcast, without having that fourth day full recovery time. The players are going to be jaded and they're going to get jaded very quickly. Um, by which I mean, you know, it can be noticeable very quickly. Um, within a space of a couple of weeks, we could be looking at a very fatigued side, um, given how hectic the schedules are. And furthermore, as well, how big these games are. Every game from now until the end of the season matters. Every game is for a verbal cup final. Um, and that takes it out of players. So, yeah, something is going to give. It's going to, there's going to be an injury. There's going to be a drop point or two. Um, we're going to be moving on shortly to the Fulham game. I have a very bad feeling about the Fulham game. Um, mm. But just to return to what you were saying there with, with Howard in, in the month of April, um, I think he's bang on. I think Howard's absolutely bang on. I think the pressure of 2011-12 was 
unbelievable. And that'll, that's, that'll never be repeated. That can never be replicated. Mm. Um, I remember the 4-4 draw, Everton United. <laughs> and I was playing in a poker tournament uh. and I was following it on Twitter. <laughs> and that that's the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. I brought a bottle of champagne that day when that <laughs> whistle went. No lie, I bought a bottle of champagne yeah. and drank the whole thing. Yeah, but the celebration I had afterwards, you know, to a draw, to you know, <laughs> um, was incredible. So that can't be replicated because of what it meant to us as City fans. But if you broaden it out, you look at, as already stated, how pivotal the next few weeks are to Spurs and their next decade. How pivotal it is to Liverpool. I mean, my God, look at the next six weeks for Liverpool and Liverpool fans and what it means to them and what what they're on the potentially on the cusp of um and then you look at the Champions League draws and you look at City v Spurs as said in a, in a previous pod that is one thoroughly enjoyable tie a pair of ties you know that's mm. a great as a football fan I'm relishing the prospect of that but then of course you look at kind of the potential semi-finals that these quarterfinals could could herald I mean my god that's kind of dream stuff so yeah I mean April and May are going to be incredibly tense, incredibly meaningful, but also just really downright enjoyable as well, I think. it's This is what it's all about, isn't it? I think so. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I, I've, I've uh, reflected my positivity over the last month. I think that I, I kind of have to pinch myself sometimes when you, when you look at what we still have to play for coming into April – and also just the belief that I have across the squad and the coaching staff to, you know, it's one of those where you just want the team to do themselves justice yeah, yeah, yeah. across yeah. all the games. I, I think, but I think for me, the big contrast will always be the Real Madrid semi-final. I was going to say League, that. Absolutely. Where you just felt like at the end of it, nobody had done themselves justice. And it was such it was deflating not because the uh, not because we lost but how nothing we were in losing mm. and i think that the great thing about pep is that with him his teams are never nothing do you know what i mean there's a, a shit or bust element to everything that that him and his sides do which which does make it make it interesting but yeah i really more than anything i do i do hope that they do themselves uh, justice Really, um, can, can I just play devil's advocate about the, the schedule? Of course, you can. So, someone on the message board yesterday was interested in your thoughts and uh, just put forward the argument that this schedule is no different to anything this season and that we're overplaying it somewhat. In that, we've had two games a week all season, and international breaks earlier in the season are not a break for players. In fact, it can often be more taxing. Because, obviously, I don't know, there were about three in autumn time, yeah. Yep. Yeah, last travel, season, yeah. yeah. So you, a lot of time you think, oh, that's a break for players because not every player plays 90 minutes, but a lot of them are travelling around Europe and the world and whatnot, and they are playing. And he says, we've not really had a midweek off anyway during the season. Uh, never had, I've had a couple recently, in fact, you know, where I've had a midweek off and that this is no different to anything before that's happened this you know, this season. We've had the same schedule it's, if you're playing for your internationals, it's just the same as playing for a club game. Uh, I was just interested in your thoughts on that. And are we overplaying this schedule? No, I've been saying my, for my, I think my main, sorry, my main argument is just it's the process of time as well. As you get through a season, it's just draining more and more out of players. But well, uh, sorry, yeah. sorry, I would just say it's, it's simply not true that though, because um, you go early on in the season and the midweek games could typically um, involve. Um, you know, league league cup encounters where basically yeah. Pep can rest kind of eight players, um, and yeah. there have been times over the course of the season where there has been seven days worth of break for the players. You know, they played Saturday to the following Saturday, um, and so that's just simply not true. It there have obviously been moments throughout the course of the season where they've had to play three games in in eight eight days, but not not consistently and not over the period of of an entire month. And again, I come back to how meaningful these games are in comparison to games played in October or, or December. You know, it's, it's a shit and bust time now. Yeah, Steve, you're completely wrong, mate, with what you just said there, because <laughs> I actually remember in uh, January or February, uh, we had a week off 
that it was widely discussed at the time that it was the first clear week where the players could train together since September, right? So that means that every other week they either played a midweek game or they were on an international yeah, but, break. As I said, though, okay, so there was one in September and there was one in January, so that's two. But furthermore, it was for midweek games and what they constitute. They were, you know, kind of uh, qualifying around, uh, sorry, group stages of the Champions League, for example, uh, where, where Pep could maybe rest a couple of players. There's League Cup games where he could rest players. Yeah, but there'll be rotation here as well. Yeah, like, but, I, 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 I'm a li- okay, so hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there. Look, fu- fundamentally, I've, I don't think that we can complain about fixture pileups or the number of games that the players have had to play because I think that our squad has more better top quality players than our rivals and our challengers. And when we're talking about this next period of fixtures, which is where this conversation began from, for me, fundamentally, it comes down to one thing. City have got one more game than Liverpool and that's the FA Cup semi-final. And I keep hearing and reading about how City's schedule is what is going to kill them. And I don't understand how one extra game gives Liverpool an enormous advantage that is bigger than the one extra point that we've got over them right now. That, for me, should surely be the be-all and the end-all about conversations with regards to how many fixtures are left and how that will affect the title challenge. Do you think I'm wrong, Steve? No, I, well, I, I, there's one more league game as well. But yeah, because we'll catch up with Cardiff next week. That equals itself out after next Wednesday. So, but then you know it means it's the knock-on effect means that we're playing a midweek game at Old Trafford, um, and that's going to be taxing in itself. Um, whereas on that particular night, Liverpool aren't playing, and and then they're sitting at home watching the game on telly. So there are knock-on effects just to a singular game. But no, I mean, generally speaking, I, I, I appreciate how I'm going to cr- come across here and I'm coming across quite negatively. Um, no, I, I completely agree with you, Asan. I think this squad is big enough and good enough to withstand it, um, the demands, and they will be so up for it, it's untrue. I mean, Pep, you know, again, I've stated this on, on the pods, previous pods, Pep will be drumming into them in private, away from public ears. We can and we will create history this season. Yep. And they will be bang up for it. So there's no no problem as we go. And of course, all these fixtures come about it because of our brilliance, because of how well we've done to get to this point. So yep. um no no complaints from me whatsoever. I also just think it's I'm a little bit tired, um, and I find it to be utter bollocks. This as I say, this narrative that Liverpool have the advantage in the title race based on the one extra FA Cup game that, that City have to play. I mean, it's it's really become prevalent across Liverpool media. I mean, you know, yeah. All your all your fanzine writers, whether it's Paul Joyce or whoever it is, yeah, across all of the uh, across all of the major publications who cover Liverpool, have absolutely convinced themselves, yeah, that this one extra game that City have to play means it's it's basically in Liverpool's hands. Which is, you know, maybe maybe my irritation isn't so much at the fact that you know Liverpool are in a title challenge or that the people are talking about them as a top team. It's the fact that. Nothing that like, and even it's even a city centric perspective to some extent that we're looking at this and we're going, oh no, but Liverpool have got the advantage. And I'm sort of going, how can they have the advantage when we have a much deeper squad with much higher quality across all the positions? Yeah. We've got a much better manager. We've got a point on them. And we've only got one extra game to play. I mean, I could understand if we if we got into a conversation about, well, across six weeks or eight weeks, say you've got to play an extra three or four games, yeah? And maybe yeah. when we get to the semifinals of the Champions League, if we get there, that something weird might happen and we might go out or Liverpool might go out. But at the same time, again, moving into the semifinals, I expect Liverpool have got better odds at beating Porto than we have at at beating Spurs. So if you want to talk about who's got the advantage, then even from a fixture point of view, you'd look at the odds and you go, well, City have got the advantage here because they've they've even got the tougher Champions League tie. So they're a bit more likely to go out of that, which would make it a little bit easier for them in that final running. So it's the kind of the framing of the narrative, which has never shifted 
from it's in Liverpool's hands, even though it's not in Liverpool's hands. <laughs> no, Sorry, I'd go along with that, and, and they're just grasping at straws, but um, understandably so, to be fair. If I was a Liverpool fan, I would be thinking along the same lines, even though it has little substance to it. Yeah, yeah, I see what yeah, you're saying. The, the, only, the thing that worries me, apart from everything in the world, <laughs> is... <laughs> It's the fixture list itself. Not not the schedule, their fixture list is easier, but to drum home a thousand times, so many weird things happen towards the end of the season, you're just wasting your time looking yes, at fixture. Absolutely. You know, trying putting together points and doing predictions. No from teams fighting relegation, teams who aren't fighting anything and play with freedom. You know, that would normally be brushed aside earlier in the season. Exactly. Stress, pressure, injuries. Exactly. Yeah, it's impossible. You just yeah, you things will ha- things will happen unexpectedly to both City and Liverpool before the end of the season, uh, and we'll just have to see where we end up. So, absolutely. Um, so, speaking of weird things happening, Stephen, you've got a bad feeling about Fulham away. Do you want to tell me why you've got a bad feeling? Well, I never feel comfortable about games after the international break, despite the fact that City have a, a very good record in playing games after the international break. I never feel comfortable about City playing lunchtime kickoffs. Yeah. And just it, there's something weird about lunchtime kickoffs. It it's the great kind of um leveller in my opinion. Um it's always a bit flat and just you always tend to kind of find more unusual results occur uh, in those kick uh, time kickoffs and elsewhere. Um Fulham have been garbage all season. Um, since Scott Parker's come in, he's kind of, you know, he's he's sticking with the same kind of team. He's got them playing for him. Now, granted, they've lost three games on the bounce under him, but they're showing a lot of fight now. A few of their players went away on in the international break. Some did, of course, but not, not that many. He's had a good kind of couple of weeks with those players. I've just got a weird, horrible feeling that they're going to come right at us and they're going to be the better team and they're going to be kind of... Um, more together and the crowd are going to be up for it and it's going to kind of throw us on the back foot and I've just got a weird feeling that it's going to be one of those games uh, similar to Swansea really what requires a, fa- a second half fight back and whether we get that or not only time will tell so I've I am this is very very unlike me to be this pessimistic but I've <laughs> swap, swap bodies again yeah I've, I've, <laughs> I've got a bad feeling about this one lads how do you feel about it well, can I just say about the atmosphere? The Fulham fans are not in good spirits whatsoever. Mm. But they were going to have a protest this weekend because of ticket prices. I think they've barely sold a game out since the earlier in the season because uh, the actual you know non-season ticket prices are apparently exorbitant, as they are at most grounds. You know, if you just buy for single games, uh, banners have been were going to be brought and they've been banned by the club because they're not supportive of the club. Uh, so. I wouldn't say the the crowd as a whole will be up for this, and I'm not even sure it'll be a sellout if you know what I've heard is true. Uh, I do have that. You know, my thought is, yeah, change of manager, nothing to play for. They're, they're surely down, and they do have good players. But if yeah, I mean, they really do have plenty of good players. They're just so underperformed. Uh, they have lost about seven on the bounce at least. They've conceded two. In every game, at least two in every game they played for ages now. I'm loving this. And if and if Steve says if they come out, so I think that's the best thing that could happen. Yeah, true. In it, my worry is if they don't, if they just play or you know, if Scott Parker just gets them organised and stay near the box because they do have a bit of pace on the break. And that what I want them to do is play the natural game that will play right into our hands. I don't want to tell. I don't think Scott Parker will throw them to the wolves like that. So. No, I don't want to tempt fate, but they can't defend for Toffee, man. Doesn't matter how mm. many doesn't matter how many players they put back there. It's one of the worst kind of defense defensively, one of the worst teams I've ever seen in the Premier League. The amount of goals that they've conceded is utterly ridiculous. Um I think that, you know, I think you have to I think the new manager, I think as you say, you have to acknowledge the fact they have got some good players there, some gifted players there. Um I guess for me, I look at the the kind of firstly the positives from a city point of view are that all the injuries are clearing up so everybody more or less everybody is trained this week unless i'm mistaken that includes 
The elusive Benjamin Mendy, John Stones is back. Fernandinho is training again. Kevin De Bruyne has been training again. Um, you feel as though this is the moment now after this international break. The next six weeks are going to decide everything. You can imagine that Pep has spent certainly the last three or four days talking about almost starting as you mean to go on, if that makes sense, like setting the tone at lunchtime on Saturday for what we intend to do in the next six weeks. Um, I see I see Fulham as one of those sides where I think that, I don't want to say we need an early goal, but I think that if City get the early goal, it'll be... Uh, it'll be very difficult for Fulham from there on out. I think my only concern, as you say, is the early kickoff and the travel and whether we're a bit slow coming out of the blocks. But even if we're a bit slow coming out of the blocks, I uh, I still would expect us to not let them in and to buy 20, 25 minutes in. I think that's the thing when, with the early kickoffs. I'd be interested to know what you both think, actually. Um, I think with the early kickoffs... It's very difficult away from home to expect your team to travel in the morning and get there for the early kickoff and then come flying out the traps. I think the more realistic thing is to expect them to feel their way into the first 15, 20 minutes of the game and then go up a gear. Um, Howard, do you think that's a fair assessment of how you think City will come out? And do you think that might have problems from a Fulham point of view or do you think we can keep Fulham out whilst we feel our way into the game yeah I think we I think we can yeah I, I don't I don't think we'll yeah we'll come out of the blocks looking to get the early goals I think they'll just play the same patient game as you said and again you know I could see I could see the situation that we're drawing at half time and everyone's frustrated and then we score three in the second half because they're just playing the 90 minutes mm. and is to say for Fulham, it would take something ridiculous for Fulham to be disciplined and and controlled in defence for the first time this season for ninety minutes against the reigning champions. So I don't think you know we're looking at this that we have to get an early goal. I think it will be the patient, dominate the ball, and just wait and wait and wait because the, the as the ninety minutes exponentially, the chances will increase per you know per minute as the game continues, as has happened in a lot of games this season. Uh, I'd be surprised if, we're, if there's not a few goals for City in this. And yeah. they, don't all, they don't have to come early. They don't, obviously, we prefer it. It will it will really put the pressure on Fulham and you know the heads might drop if we get an early goal. But mm. I don't think it's necessary. It's not a route we have to take to win this match. Okay. Okay. Um, Steve, just for you to, to kind of begin to to wrap this up what what I'm interested in is how do you go about the team selection when you're looking at the players that have returned from injury um bearing in mind that we've got Cardiff at home in midweek and we're in pretty good form going into the international break do you expect Pep to start dropping new players in a way uh, new players returning to fitness players in a way at Fulham how do you divide that between Fulham and Cardiff basically in terms of the selection I'm anticipating an amazing bench. <laughs> this, this <time. laughs> um, I know what you mean. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it, it, it if involves you know Stones, even Fernandinho, depending on how kind of you know whether Pat thinks it's he's he's fit enough to start. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Gundo who starts instead of Fernandinho with uh, Brazilian on the bench. Um, the Bruyne would be there too, uh, Mendy there too. So it could be a really amazing bench. Um, but again, it it comes down to you know only Pep knows and his staff know to what extent of fitness these players are at, what level mm. they're at, whether he can start these games. I uh, believe these players can start the games. Um, it might well be the case where three or four of them start against Fulham. Um, but personally, I I think it'll be a case of starting them on the bench, bringing them on after an hour, um, and then possibly starting against Cardiff. Gotcha, Howard. Yes. <laughs> Will we beat Fulham? Yeah. Will we beat Fulham? Oh, yeah. Excellent. Stephen? Yeah. Will we beat Fulham? Right. Can I just <laughs> preempt this by saying that I'm a great big cowardly custard. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like wars. I'm a lover, not a fighter. 
Um, <laughs> the war has barely begun, and already I'm quivering in my trench. Um, I've gone to pieces, lads. It's going to be 2-1 Fulham. <laughs> I think that's the first time anyone's predicted a City defeat on this yeah, podcast. So. Yeah. I think that's definitely the first time this season that a defeat has been predicted. I admire your honesty stroke lack of respect for our manager and our players steve definitely admire that that takes uh that takes some uh some brass cojones i'm 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 fairly sure that as soon as you finish this pod you're heading over to the anfield rap to cheer them up yep. with your uh with your little prediction <laughs> oh my goodness we start we started with ole's at the wheel we cannot end with no, the no, reds, no, no. lads that that just cannot happen um to wrap this up very quickly, a little little piece of uh, business or news that has broken whilst we were recording this. We've all seen uh, Sam Lee's story that uh, Ilkay Gundogan, his contract talks have stalled and that he doesn't intend to sign a new contract uh, anytime soon. Um, interesting. I mean, I won't say... But I will say that Jaden Sancho effectively uh, got told that he wasn't going to go on the American tour because he stalled on a contract. Um, Guardiola in the past has been quite militant with players who start taking the piss when it comes to contracts. Um, Howard, is he taking the piss or is he fully entitled as a contracted professional yeah, to make a decision himself uh, in his own good time about when he wants to sign a new deal or if indeed he wants to sign a new deal. No, of course he's not taking the piss. He don't have to sign a contract. So, uh, And he's, you know, normally you don't hear anything from players, but you know, he has just been honest about it at least. Uh, so, no, he's... Yeah, if a club wants to get rid of a player, they get rid of a player. So it works both ways. It's it's a two-way relationship here. If he doesn't want to sign a new contract, then he doesn't sign one. That's entirely up to him. It's a job. It's employment. It's you know, I know it it works in a different way to us in our jobs, but you know, <laughs> the fact is, you wouldn't be happy if you had to stay in your job when you didn't want to. So if he wants to move on, I mean, the thought is, and the way if you read not even between the lines, but the lines he's spoken, is that he's looking at one final, the possibility of one final move and perhaps one final payday. Uh, not that you wouldn't get a very good contract, I think, if he, if he renewed at City. Uh, as for what City do, I think, for me, it's, I mean, yeah, there's been talk of a transfer ban that's, talk has disappeared for a couple of weeks now. Obviously, if we had a ban, it would be a very different answer that I might give to this. But if he doesn't sign during the summer, and what you've said about Pep, I fully expect him to be sold, and I'd say that's the right decision. Because mm. we don't want another James Milner where we, we play a, a game for the last season, you know, waiting to see if he, and lose out on £20 million or whatever, you know, we can get for him. Yeah, I just I don't, don't, I don't, I don't... I don't agree with letting people run down the contracts now. They're perfectly entitled to, but if they're not going to sign one when they've got a year left, I say... You have to move them on, yeah. unless there's such such a talent that you want to take the gamble that you think you can talk them round. You know, you'll take the financial gamble. Now, I love Gundogan, and I think you know, I'd really rather he stay as a squad player. He's clearly more than good enough. Uh, but the fact is, if he doesn't sign it, he will. He should be sold. Hmm. Um, Steve, if. Uh if Gundo is is playing the game that he's playing currently um, in terms of the contract, do you agree, firstly, do you agree with Howard that if he doesn't sign up, we sell him in the summer? We don't yeah, run can, the risk of him going on a free? Completely agree with every word Howard said there. And furthermore, I, although I, I rate him and I like him, um, I, I won't be shedding too many tears because there are potential upsides to him being moved on anyway. I think City are going to target an out-and-out defensive midfielder this summer, um, a specialist in the role to kind of, um, you know, compete with Fernandinho. Um, and I think it frees up uh, a, a little bit more of a pathway for Phil Foden to make his mark. Yeah. Um, and so there are upsides to it. Um, and, yeah, I just completely agree with Howard. But, but he's 28. 
this is his last big payday. He has to get his decision right. And frankly, he's right when he says that, you know, he's 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 been used kind of you know, as a squad player rather than a first teamer. But that is his role. So um if he wants to play every week and he wants a, a, a big kind of pay boost uh for his last co- big contract, good luck to the lad, I've got no problem with it. Um if he ran his contract down, that's a different matter, but it doesn't look like that's gonna happen. So yeah. Let's let's sell up in the summer, and he leaves with our best wishes. Uh, and more okay. to the point, Steve, what you've just said, he may see that his path is about to be blocked even more. Mm. Because, Fod- because yeah, we Foden, all want yeah. Phil Foden yeah. to get more playtime, and we all expect Fernandinho's successor stroke competitor competition to be signed in summer. So that's two. That's kind of t- you know two more yeah obstacles in his way to getting uh, match time. It's just being practical. Picture. Look, I don't think that uh, I don't think that there's a single top side in the world that is going to turn around and guarantee Ilkay Gundogan uh, football because that's just not the way it works at top top sides. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I feel as though history has been rewritten in that Ilkay Gundogan wasn't a squad player; he was a player who we signed injured. Yeah, and when he, unless I'm mistaken, he came back from one injury and then did his ACL and then was out for a year. And then after that, when he came back, it took a long time for him to find his form and his fitness. However, once he found his form and his fitness, Pep Guardiola has chosen him as regularly as he's chosen pretty much any other of what you would consider to be the the best 14 players or 15 players in the squad. I think it's it's a bit, it's an exaggeration to say that he's been used only as a squad player, in my opinion. I think the second thing is those injuries need to be taken into account. I think the lad is taking the piss. I think that if he's concerned that his pathway may be blocked, then he should sign a 12-month extension say i'll give it another year and then if it's not working or if i play less then next summer you can sell me and you can get a little bit money for a little bit of money for it the idea that we sign him on a five-year contract he spends two of those five years on the treatment table on our dime whilst we're paying him so to speak gets himself fit sticks himself in the shop window and then starts playing silly beggars i don't really like it and i rate him a lot as a footballer um but if you read up a little bit into Ilkay's kind of history, he's definitely always been very aware of the value of running your contracts down. So, and again, in general, that's fine. Players are entitled to run their contracts down. I just expect a bit more loyalty from a lad who was signed injured because Pep wanted him that badly. For a lad who then did his ACL, spent another year on the treatment table, I'd just expect a little bit more from him, even if it's just a 12-month extension to give it another year to see how things go, knowing that at least that puts City in a position where they're not having to worry about him walking on a free to an immediate rival. Um, So, yeah, that's my my take Mm, on... Fair enough, it's... Let, let us know on uh, Twitter, everyone, whoever's listening in, and just let us know what your take, because that's pretty much a very divided take there. Yeah, no, yeah definitely. there's no loyalty in football, and I don't think clubs owe anything for... Players get injured, there's nothing they can do about that. I don't think they owe it to clubs for standing by them. They're not doing it out of charity. Oh, well, you can say that. Fine, 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 fine. That's fine. Yeah. So then if you if you sign a player yeah, who's injured himself playing basketball and dislocated his knee... Yeah, then I think that that deserves a return of loyalty because there is very, very, very few clubs that will turn around and go, yeah, all right, we'll give you a five-year contract at 200 grand a week with a dislocated knee that you did whilst you were playing basketball with the record of injuries that you've had in the previous three or four years. I mean, there's a lot more that is, for me, the Gundogan situation isn't as black and white as people are making out. There's a lot underneath it that I that makes me feel more and more like I don't like the way that he's behaving. But okay, fair enough. I can see that we're... And lots of fans will talk about getting rid of a player because of a bad injury record. So it flips the other way as well. It's like, oh no, he's you can't rely on him. He's too injury prone. Sell him. So which way? Yeah, do, we not, yeah. do we not show loyalty to players and give them a chance? Or, you know, it has to work both ways as well for me. 
Yeah, but I if that makes sense. I I think that we're if we t- if we're talking about the here and the now, we're talking about Pep. I think that he's Guardiola has shown loyalty to players who are injury prone, often to a fault. Yeah, um, I think true. the fact that we're now you know year two coming up to the end of year two without a left back that we bought three years ago, it's a bit too much if you ask me. But Pep, because of the faith he's got in Mendy, has never moved in the transfer market. I think that, again, if you look at the the Gundogan situation, when he came in, he was a crucial, crucial piece of the uh, uh, the, the kind of the puzzle that, that Pep was putting together. And you look at the ACL that he does, it would have been real easy and most other clubs would have just gone, yeah, sorry, mate, we're just going to go and buy somebody else now. City didn't do that. I think there's a, I don't know why this has gotten to me in the way that it's getting to me but it is the situation is beginning to get to me and I do I do feel that if he doesn't sign a deal come the end of the season he should be sold and I absolutely can't be arsed with him if his point of view is I'm just not signing a deal my left field theory is that he's waiting to see if we win the quad (laughs) quadruple so if he's won that then project complete yeah, nothing else to, yeah, yeah. nowhere to go after that, is yeah, there? Yeah, project complete and then he can go. Okay, fair enough. Right, gentlemen, wrapping this up now because it's definitely Elizabethan beer garden time. Mr. Howard Hawking, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, pleasure as always. Stephen Tudor, thank you very much. Pleasure, man. Everybody who listened, thank you very much. This was the Friday show on the Night 320 podcast. We'll be back on Sunday or Monday with a review of the Fulham game. In the meantime, as always, be safe, be well. Up the blues. <laughs>